Hey everyone, it's Melissa, your host at Strange, Strange, Beyond Insane. And today, I am going to talk about one of my most favorite women in history, Amelia Earhart, and the tragic ending to her story. Now, they do, deep sea explorers think that they may have found her plane. Um, There's a lot of people out there that are not convinced. This has been, God, many, many, many years of wondering what had really happened to her. Okay, so... um, Could this orange blob possibly be the answer to an 87-year-old mystery? Explorers say that they have found Amelia Earhart's plane in a deep-sea exploration. This company says it may have found the wreckage. And this goes back to dates of um, 1937 is when her plane disappeared. She's America's favorite missing person. She was a fantastic person and a pioneer in the aviation field an early advocate for women's rights, and a terrific author. And that is um, said to be by Tony Romero, and he is the CEO of Deep Sea Vision. Earhart was a record-breaking pilot in her lifetime, having become the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic in 1932. She went missing during an attempted round-the-world flight in 1937 during a roughly 400 and 400 I'm sorry, 4,400 kilometer hop from Papua New Guinea to Howland Island in the central Pacific Ocean. No trace of Earhart, her navigator Fred Noonan, or the Lockheed Electra they were flying were ever found. Aviation expert Dorothy said it's certainly an intriguing image, but it's not enough to declare the mystery solved. This is a sonar image. It, it just doesn't quite give us enough detail to go ahead and say, you know, this is Amelia's plane. She is a curator in the aeronautics department of the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. That is Dorothy, um, I want to say, Kashrain. Maybe it's how you say her name. You guys know I'm not good with pronouncing stuff. And she also says, you have to go back and just identify this object and say, well, is it or isn't it? If we get good photography, you know, that does go a long way to identifying it, she told The Current. Romero's team intends to return to the site to gather more information in the hopes of confirming their theory. But he warned that such an expedition is logistically challenging and could take several years. Romero said that the object lies around 160 kilometers west of Howland Island, but has not released a precise location. Earhart's radio, call, radio calls offer clues in the immediate aftermath of Earhart's disappearance. A massive search failed to, fail, I'm sorry, failed to turn up any clues. Theories over the decades have included speculation that she was apprehended by Japan or that Earhart faked her own disappearance and lived out her life under an, under an assumed identity. Well, good for her <laughs> if that happened. Um, Kashrain said theories like these are not based on any facts whatsoever. Considering Earhart's radio calls in those final hours, she thinks the plane simply ran out of fuel. Okay, so, um, again, I know you guys are probably getting tired of me saying, you know, talking about TikTok, but that is mostly where I get my news. Um, I do not watch the news. Um, the only thing that I look at, um, is Google News sometimes once in a while, now, this is um, a woman named Dr. Harini Bhatt. She's a 
Farm D. Okay, so I am going to replay this um, video. Explorers may have found Amelia Earhart's long-lost plane. According to her final radio messages with the U.S. Coast Guard vessel stationed nearby, all contact with Earhart ceased on July 2nd after 8.43 a.m. And that is supposedly the last anyone has ever heard from her. Until the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, or TGAR, published a paper in 2018 that strongly refutes this, stating that they have ample evidence to show that Earhart sent out radio distress messages for several days after July 2nd. After Earhart disappeared, the U.S. Navy put out an all-ships, all-stations bulletin. Authorities asked anyone with a radio in a trained ear to tune in to the radio frequencies that Earhart was using on her trip. And this was not as simple as it sounds. So the people who heard Earhart's distress messages just happened to be listening to the radio at the right time. And one of those people was a 15-year-old girl listening in from St. Petersburg, Florida, who transcribed some of the desperate phrases she heard. Quote, water's high, water's knee deep. Let me out. Help us quick. A housewife in Toronto heard a shorter message. Quote, we have taken in water. We can't hold on much longer. On July 3rd, a woman named Nina Paxton from Ashland, Kentucky, said she heard Earhart say, quote, K-H-A-Q-Q calling, and that she was on or near a little island at a point near, and then it cuts out. Then she says something about a storm and that the wind was blowing. We will have to get out of here. We can't stay here long. What happened to Amelia Earhart after that has vexed the world for nearly 87 years. Tigar is just one group of researchers who have dedicated their time and resources to solving one of aviation's greatest mysteries. So here's what they discovered. So they conducted an extensive analysis of more than 2,000 Coast Guard and U.S. Navy log entries and tracked down 57 credible post-loss radio messages reported in the days after Earhart's disappearance to construct a picture of what may have happened in those final days. Based on the quality of the radio messages, Teagard deduced that the point of origin of these radio messages were coming from Gardner Island because the quality of radio reception decreased the farther you moved away from Gardner Island. And only at Baker Island, which is the station closest to Gardner, did an operator hear a strong, clear voice signal with the plane's call sign, K-H-A-Q-Q. And if you notice, the island just above Baker is Howland Island. That is the island that Earhart and Noonan were supposed to land at to refuel and never arrived. And eerily enough, Earhart's very last radio message to the U.S. Coast Guard vessel at 8.43 a.m. was her stating that she was on the line, position 157-337, running north and south. And what island happens to be on this line of position is Nukumoro Island, also known as Gardner Island. So Teagard deduced that Earhart and Newton had to basically crash land on Gardner Island and were marooned on the reef. And the reason Teagard believed this is absolutely bonkers nutso science. I mean that in a good way. Okay, if the plane was stuck on the reef at Gardner Island, then that presented Earhart with a problem. The plane's radio relied on the aircraft's batteries, but you need the batteries to start the engine. So if they kept the radio on and continued to send distress messages, then they would run out of the battery and they wouldn't be able to start the plane. But here's the rub. The timing of the distress messages are strange. Tater believed that there was a pattern to them that was oddly specific, as if Earhart was only sending distress messages when the tide was out. So Tigar hypothesized that the plane was halfway underwater and thus Earhart could only send messages when the water level was low enough for the propeller tip to clear. 
because again, she needed to turn the engine on to send the radio message. In other words, Teagar concluded that Earhart and Noon had to stick to a certain schedule based on the tide. They're seeking shelter, shade, and food during the day, and then they head back to the plane during low tide to try the radio message again. To test their hypothesis, Teagar compared past tidal levels and reef height data from Gardner Reef to the post-loss signals on an hour-by-hour timeline. And in their words, the correlation was astounding. Every credible transmission only occurred when the water level was low enough for the propeller to clear. But there's even more to the story. Tigger didn't just randomly start this investigation based solely on the post-lost radio messages. In 1940, bones were discovered on Gardner Island, which was originally believed to have belonged to Earhart, but then were quote, misidentified and discarded. So Tigger built this body of evidence on top of forensic anthropologist Dr. Richard Yance's paper in 2018, which reanalyzed the bone evidence using modern-day techniques. These bones on Gardner Island were found by a British expedition team who stumbled upon a skull, other skeletal parts, and the remains of what looked like a woman's shoe. Among these bones was a box that held a Brandis Navy surveying sextant made in 1918 and a bottle of Benedictine, an herbal liqueur. I wanted to do a little bit of digging to see if Benedictine was even popular in the 1930s when Earhart was alive. And I found out that Benedictine was one of the most popular cocktails in 1930s New York during the Prohibition. And Amelia Earhart lived in New York for a while. She went to Columbia University, and then after graduating, she continued to live there for a few years because her husband owned a publishing company there. So it's totally possible that she packed the Benedictine as part of her belongings for the flight. Anyways, the 13 bones were shipped to Fiji and were studied by D.W. Hoodless, who determined that the skeleton was a man and the bones were subsequently chucked. But since the bones are gone, Yance co-developed a computer program that can estimate sex and ancestry by using skeletal measurements called Fordisk. Yance compared the lengths of the bones to Earhart's measurements using her height, weight, body build, limb lengths, and proportions from both photographs and information found on her pilot's and driver's licenses. The Fortis analysis not only found the bones were female, that Earhart's bones were, quote, more similar to the Gardner bones than 99% of individuals in a large reference sample. So in his paper, Dr. Yance says that the only documented person to whom these Gardner bones could belong to is Amelia Earhart. Although doing a proper DNA analysis on the actual bones would give us the clearest and most definitive answer, the Fortis analysis comes pretty darn close. This, coupled with the Tigar's radio message analysis, paints a pretty compelling yet distressing picture. One can only imagine what was going through. Now I have another um, plane aircraft story. Um, however, this is pretty morbid and um, very sad. And this is definitely recently that this happened. All right, so Salt Lake City police are investigating the death of a 30-year-old Park City resident, Kyle Effinger, after an apparent security breach at Salt Lake City International Airport. Police said around 10 p.m. Monday night, an airport store manager contacted dispatchers to report a passenger security breach. According to the police, the man used an emergency exit to reach a... um, a pad at the airport. He ultimately climbed into the intake cowling of a commercial aircraft bound for San Francisco from Salt Lake City. Um, by the way, a cowling is a hood-like covering for an engine on an airplane. 
When Salt Lake City Police learned Effinger was under the plane, they reportedly asked air traffic controllers to ask the pilot to shut down the plane's engines. Police and employees from the airport found Effinger unconscious inside a wing-mounted engine belonging to an Airbus A220 with 95 passengers and five crew members aboard. According to the press release, the aircraft's engines were rotating when Effinger was found. Alright, so the cause of death um, is, they're saying is unclear, but I think it's pretty obvious, right? Um, the rescue officials tried to revive Effinger at 10.15pm, which included CPR and naloxone, an overdose reversal drug. Officials said that Effinger died on the scene. In separate news release, Salt Lake City Airport officials said it was unclear what caused Effinger's death. According to a press release, SLCPD officers are working with the medical examiner's office to confirm the cause and the manner of the death, which may include a tax, I'm sorry, tax, toxicology report. Um, okay, so what I've read on this is that, um, unfortunately, this young man was severely bipolar, and I believe it was his grandfather that was, like, on his deathbed, and if you watch the videos, or if you have seen them, you see him trying to bust through the door, um, to get through the terminal, because obviously he missed his plane, he was very distraught, um, how he got broke through that door, I have no idea, um, <laughs> it's, it's insane, um, and like I said, it's extremely tragic. And he was obviously having a meltdown and he wasn't in the right frame of mind. So I'm going to play a video. All right. Let's pull this down here. Oh, and again, you guys, this is pretty graphic. Um, so like sensitive listeners, you probably don't want to hear this. Here we go. I see this. Newly released surveillance video shows the final moments of a Utah man who was found dead inside a Delta engine. 30-year-old Kyler Effinger died on New Year's Day after climbing into the turbine of a plane which was awaiting takeoff at Salt Lake City International Airport. Video showed him here running into the terminal door several times before falling down, and then he made his way through an emergency exit and ran down the stairwell straight to the tarmac. He can then be seen on thermal imaging running towards the plane that was de-icing on the runway. Effinger's family believes he was having a mental health crisis as he was about to fly to Denver to see his sick grandfather. His father says he got held up in security, missed his flight, and called him several times, and he says he knew he was having a manic episode. Officials say the plane's engines were rotating to de-ice the plane despite initial reports the engines were off. Police found some of Effinger's personal belongings on the tarmac, including shoes and clothes. First responders were able to pull him from the plane's engine, but he was pronounced dead on scene. Did you guys? So again, that's um, extremely tragic. Um, I'm not sure, you know, if he didn't have the right amount of medicine or maybe he had too much. I don't know, but mental health is very serious. And please, anyone out there that's struggling, um, you know, try to seek help. There's help everywhere. And um, yeah, it's very sad, but... Um, it is current times and th that this happened, and this does go with, you know, avi aviation um, tragedies. So I thought that I would add that in there. Um, if you guys have any more information or you guys want to add anything or suggest anything, of course, if you look up Strange, Strange, Beyond Insane, 
Um, there's many platforms, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And also you can send me an email at ghostsisters2124 at gmail. All right, you guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll be chatting soon.